0: Thank you to those who read our scripture this morning. I'm going to bring you the sermon today from my office at home. Films in Canada used to adhere to a rating system in order to provide the public with the information that they need to make informed viewing choices. Movies used to be rated PG or 18A, the real spicy ones were rated R. You know, the ones that were restricted because of violence or gore, sex, nudity, substance use, coarse language, and so on. As detailed on the Government of Ontario's website under the Film Content Information Act of 2020, the requirement to provide movie ratings for films has since been removed. Instead, film exhibitors are required to provide consumers with information on a film's content instead. Now, if we applied these same principles to our books of the Bible, then Ruth would at least, at the very least, get an 18A rating. Chapter 3 alone is full of sexual tension. Also, throughout the book, you'll find coarse language, racism, and the possibility of harassment. Today, we're settling down in Chapter 3, and you might want to bring your smelling salts in case you get the vapors. Consider yourself duly informed. The Book of Ruth is many things. It's a story of survival, a story of forced migration, a story of kinship. It's a story of racism and of old grudges. It's a story of famine and plenty. the story of what people do in desperate circumstances with limited options. Like Hagar and Sarah, Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and countless others, we have a series of stories of people whose circumstances reflected how foreigners women and those whose bodies are considered irrelevant are often left to their own devices, left to take matters into their own hands, no matter how dangerous. The Hebrew Bible, our old Testament is both brilliant and brutal in its description of how those people, again, often women navigated their way through obstacles. It's a radical book. And along with like-minded stories, it brings us to a point of decision about how the Bible itself works when it intersects with lived experience. This truth is undeniable as we turn to the third chapter of Ruth and its treatment over the millennial. We'll come back to that in a minute. Besides being a survival story, the book of Ruth is also an earthy story. In fact, it is earthy in about every possible way a story can be earthy. You can almost smell the dust in the air as the famine and food scarcity situation force Elimelech's family to migrate by foot. You can feel the looks of the Bethlehemites searing into the back of her head when Naomi slinks back home years later, San's husband or sons, and plus one Moabite from Moab, both of them covered in ash and decked out in sackcloth. You can taste the goodness of the grain in chapter two that Ruth brought home to Naomi after gleaming in, in Boaz's field. A simple meal, but perhaps the best one that they had ever tasted. This isn't a glitz and glamour story. Ruth is an earthy story. And then there's a substantial harvest that came in that year after the thin years of famine in Bethlehem. The townspeople would have been overjoyed. Nobody would starve this year. If you pay attention, you will notice the wild celebrations taking place in the background of this story as the Festival of Booths, or what we would call Pentecost, enlivened Bethlehem and all the surrounding towns. When the harvest came in, the party got started. Rejoice during your festival, commanded God. You and your sons and your daughters, your male and your female slaves, as well as the Levites and the strangers and the orphans, and the widows resident in your towns seven days you shall surely celebrate and church lest you imagine some sort of chaste sober party lest you equivocate the festival of the harvest with cake and coffee after worship let me remind you that in deuteronomy 14 verse 26 god commanded the people to consume whatever you wish oxen sheep wine, beer, whatever you desire, just have a party. And Knox, that's that's exactly what Boaz did. As an owner of several successful fields, countless employees and a notable position in society, he was in the thick of this festival and rightfully so. God is so good. Raise a glass or two or three, l'chaim. We read that Boaz had a good time eating and drinking until he was in a contented mood. Boaz felt great, if you know what I'm talking about. Just as the celebration of Pentecost and the bringing in of the harvest is a background theme throughout the story of God's loving faithfulness, the enactment of God's law is also a strong current, quietly rolling along in the background. So you have this festival happening happening up front and you have the enacting of the law happening in the background. It's always been the case that one of the ways that God's Hesed, God's loving kindness, reaches out in faithful love is through the enacting of the law. God had given Israel such laws as when you reap the harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be left for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. And when you reap the harvest of your land, You shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. That's in Leviticus 19. And you shall also love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 10. In the book of Ruth, they are celebrating the bringing in of the harvest. In the book of Ruth, Boaz is found obeying the law without pomp or ceremony allowing Ruth and others of the poor to glean in safety. Throughout his unassuming obedience to the law, God's loving faithfulness was reaching out to Ruth, and through Ruth to Naomi, kind of like a conduit. Side note, it's not by accident that even today, when Jewish people celebrate the Festival of Booths, They read the giving of the Ten Commandments alongside the reading of the whole book of Ruth. It is almost as if the rabbis discerned long ago that this humble story of simple human kindness is the proper lens through which the law of Moses should be read. It very well could be that the earthy story of Ruth is the proper hermeneutic. There's your bingo word or Scrabble word for the day, whatever. The earthy story of Ruth is the proper hermeneutic for interpreting the purpose of God's law and should therefore clue us into the fact that kindness and love for the other, rather than ritual purity, is the proper intent of the law. Year after year at Pentecost, our Jewish siblings are reminded not to be seduced by the notion that God can be satisfied by simply ticking off fulfillment of the law. Judaism's yearly pattern of worship shines a proverbial light on the uncomfortable truth that it is possible for one to keep the law perfectly and yet still be devoid of kindness. Law alone cannot heal the world. Only obedience to the law as an act, as a vehicle of kindness and generosity can do that. Like our own ordinary lives, the ordinariness of Ruth's story brings us to a point of decision, again, about how the Bible itself works when it intersects with lived experience. So, speaking of lived experiences, I've put it off long enough. The earthly plotline of Ruth's story climaxes in what Proverbs calls the way of a man with a maiden proverbs 30 verse 19 naomi tells ruth to go to boaz to quote uncover his feet and lie down uncover his feet let the hearer understand as it says in mark it's a euphemism folks naomi said to her daughter-in-law i must secure a husband for you so get washed prettied up And then head to the threshing floor and wait for Boaz to stumble in after he has filled himself with food and drink and laughter and dance and party. And when he lies down, uncover his and lay there. He'll tell you what to do. Oh, what I wouldn't give to be able to actually see all your faces right now. I want someone to take a picture and let me know. There has been so much writing and conversation dedicated to this scene. Did Ruth and Boaz have sex that night? Well, let me ask you this. So what if they did? Frankly, you can't get more earthy than this. The scene takes place on a threshing floor, folks. Did Naomi and Ruth concoct a plan in which the power of sex helped seal a deal? Again, I ask. What if they did? Does it actually change or diminish the intent and the outcome? Recall, if you will, that both Ruth and Boaz were widowed, so they were not new to this game. Furthermore, Naomi's plan was not intended to extend beyond this one night with these specific people. If their possible coupling that night is problematic, then we would do well to stop and ask ourselves why. What? Does it change for them, for God's activity behind the scenes? Could their activity limit God's presence or God's grace or God's power to act? If we're not careful, we'll slip into purity law. And that's a dangerous path, as countless Pharisees found out in their interactions with Jesus a thousand years later. These are desperate times for Ruth, as they had once been for Sarah and Hagar and Tamar and Rahab and later Bathsheba and others. Their lives and their livelihoods are at stake. They needed to become associated to another, another household, another man in this culture through marriage. I don't see the events of Ruth 3 as a denial of purity, but as a practice of self-determination. The morals of the story, the things Ruth and Naomi had to do to find safety and a home, highlighted the laws that were perhaps in need of changing or reimagining. Note that the author of Ruth doesn't indicate the actions of the the characters in Chapter 3 as scandalous. And so, if I could be perfectly frank, which I usually am, while spicy, the uncovering of Boaz's feet is actually the least shocking part of this story. Here's the incredible part. When Boaz was startled out of his sleep, Ruth took action immediately. And by all accounts, she proposed marriage. Spread your cloak over your servant for you are next of kin. The reference to a man spreading his cloak over a woman is a reference to the marriage ceremony, symbolically bringing her both into his bed and under the protection of his wings. In Ezekiel 16, verse 8, it says, I passed by you again and looked on you. You were at the age for love. I spread the edge of my cloak over you and covered your nakedness. I pledged myself to you and entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord God, and you became mine. I did warn you that this was at least 18a, right? You were warned at the beginning. This whole scene is absolutely wild. This woman, a widow and a Moabite, no less, had the moxie to crawl into this Israelite's bed, enacting a stereotype about her own people as being hypersexualized, and uses the opportunity to bring to mind for Boaz one of his own people's laws, the law of kinsman redeemer. Sir, spread your cloak over me. As a next of kin to Naomi, Boaz had a legal obligation to marry this widow, but nobody would have blamed him for casting her off. She is a Moabite after all. Nevertheless, there on the threshing floor, under the cover of darkness and of his cloak, food and drink still on his breath, Boaz said, Yes and they exchanged the equivalent of marriage promises. As they did, God was at work. God was at work through Boaz, rescuing Ruth from a marginalized life of gleaning as a foreigner. But equally so, through Ruth, God was at work rescuing Boaz, who was alone, and partnership, maybe even love, moved into his home that night, quite literally right beside him in bed, on the threshing floor. And through Ruth, God was at work rescuing Naomi. Naomi had sent Ruth off with instructions as to how Ruth could secure her own future. But Ruth accomplished not only that, but in her tenacity, she also secured a future for Naomi. When Boaz said to Ruth, this last instance of your loyalty is better than the first, he was referring to Ruth's loyalty both to himself, but also, and maybe especially, her loyalty to her mother and mother-in-law. Ruth dared to act when survival was at stake. And God brought grace, said, and salvation to all of them. It's not an easy story. I'm sorry if you thought it was. Uh, there is seduction, uh, race issues border crossings, risk, reputation, issues that still plague the world and our lives today. Ruth's story brings us to a point of decision as I've said twice already in this message. Ruth's story brings us to a point of decision about how the Bible itself works when it intersects with lived experience, with desperate times, with desperate measures because it's life and death. If the law is meant to be enacted in kindness and warmth and generosity, then perhaps we need to look again at the old stories of judgment and condemnation and gatekeeping to which we cling like our lives depend on it. They don't. It would be easy to look at chapter three and roll our eyes. Ruth, the Moabite from Moab, of course she crawled into bed with him. We could scoff, or, and this is the other thing the church does, we can sanitize the story to make it palatable, clean enough to use in Sunday school. What a romantic story, Ruth and Boaz, no? But what if we're called to actually sink into the earthiness, the realness, the desperation, the survival of this story just the way it is, without clean cut ends? answers straight lines ticked boxes what if rather than being found in the happily ever after what if god is in the wrestle we have to have with the text what if god is the wrestle i'd like to close as i have both other sermons in the series by quoting padraig otuama again ruth and naomi are two women he writes schooled in the ways of surviving in a world of men They're demonstrating resilience, fortitude and determination by being leaders of their shared life. Not only this, Ruth the Moabite from Moab is seen as an image of God, seeking cover from a people, not her own and bringing them into the shelter of her kindness and her loyalty and her faithfulness. While she trusts that they will bring her into the shelter of theirs. She covenants herself to them in a way that brings about her own redemption and theirs, both through the politics of law and through chesed, loving kindness. Because when everything was at risk, when everything was at stake, Ruth the Moabite from Moab dared to act. And so now we wait for our closing scene. To God be all the glory. Amen.